0: Hey, it's Ronnie Gibson again. This is another episode of Short Life Advice. Today I have with me...
1: Brian Radder, uh, Business Development Manager.
0: Radder, what's going on,
1: man? Not much, man. Appreciate it for jumping Brian. On. Yeah, I feel you. For sure.
0: <laughs> episode number 55. I wanted to get you on just because, you know, you... Uh, you're a business development manager, is your new title of uh, one of the, you know, the most up and coming uh, and highest net revenue uh, team in Schneider currently, I think, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're up there. Uh, uh, the t- the team The team's uh, the team's doing awesome. So,
0: you guys had some great success. I've had a few of your your guys on the team, and uh, they've had all good things to say about you know the way you guys... Got- the way you help them attack new business and and growing, you know, current customers. So I want to get you on and ask you a few questions and maybe tap into some of the things that you're doing over there. Maybe spread the the love everywhere in Schneider.
1: Absolutely, all about it.
0: I first wanted to, you know, I was looking at your LinkedIn and uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was looking at your LinkedIn. It looks like you you started in January of 2013, right?
1: Yep, That's correct. Yeah, like. I started out in direct sales.
0: Okay, you you started one month before me, by the way. So we're we have a pretty very very similar timeline of uh, of our careers here at Schneider.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember moving some of my customers' freight uh, with you through Debor.
0: Okay, I do remember that. that. I now that you mention it, uh, Texas <laughs> up to Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably TUF. Logging Tfc into in their it. portal. Yep, yeah, TOFC in it. When's it gonna get there? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay.
0: And then now Schneider bought him out. Mm-hmm. So how'd you first do in sales? Did you do pretty well? Or like what What made you choose Schneider? Because was that your first job at a college?
1: No, I had a couple other like sales jobs out of college. Then okay. I I ended up um, running a couple of Radio Shack stores, doing mm-hmm. the, you know, in charge of sales there. And then I managed a Dollar General store. Um. But then, had a couple friends that, that got jobs here at China, so they they really liked the environment. You know, you could make a good amount of money, so figured I'd give it a try.
0: Yeah. You're very, very similar to my whole career. I started off at Menards in uh, management and sales. Uh, <laughs> so retail, you know, got a little taste of retail before we got into, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't miss it. I no, don't miss it. No. Not a big fan of retail,
0: but it, it helps. Uh, I think it kind of calluses your your mind, like uh, you know Goggin says.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it's good perspective, right? That's yeah. for sure.
0: So, how, how'd you do when you first started Schneider? Did you do pretty well as a, a salesperson?
1: Yeah, I think I, I mean I got off to a little bit of a slower start, um, but I think one of the like fourth fifth month, I somehow got the thirty some k, which is pretty was pretty good at the time
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um so yeah I mean I wasn't I was never the best seller we had but I was never the worst either so I guess that's the most important thing
0: for sure above average you know
1: yep yep
0: (laughs) so one of the things that you you know I, I was on a lot of calls with you on some of the million dollar seller teams when we were doing some goal setting for the back half of the year and heading to the new year and one of the things you kept saying was what used to be good isn't good anymore regarding to how, regarding just the, what, what a good customer looks like, and just the way we attack customers. Um, you know, you mentioned something about aiming, then we just aim for like relationship and, and, and such, and, and now we tack it a little bit differently. Could you explain your thought process around that?
1: yeah i think when when i first started you know i guess when you and i first started um you know we had sellers booking the top sellers maybe booking 30 40k some field sellers you know people who just seem like unicorns ghosts whatever um and that was like what everyone's drive for so i think you know we've done a good job of scaling and kind of getting rid of that limiting belief that you know 30k is good 50k is good um you know i think the the best part about this job is that you know in some ways it's there's never that end point right it's always more 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 so you know you never really make it in my opinion um it's just unlimited potential
0: what did you mean when you were talking about you know before we aim for relationship customers and now we're aiming for you know and then just how we attack them differently like our our goals were you know relationship customers, you know, maybe strategic and then, you know, that was good and fine and dandy.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think before it was, you know, how to, how how many relationship customers can you get? And that that's still a good thing. Uh, but I think now we're looking at there's more nuance and detail to it. The the relationship customer of the past that is all manual, all high maintenance can do more harm than good for you. And I think before we did, we didn't have that perspective right? Because we weren't trying to scale some of these sellers to 10 mil, 20 mil a year. So I think putting that into perspective, you know, it's no longer just good enough to book a load of day with us. It's how do you book with us, right? Is it, is it hands-free? Is it automated? Um, And how much, you know, work is it essentially? So I think, you know, looking at it from a cost benefit perspective, you know, the more, the more loads they're going to book with us, the more the higher tolerance we're going to have for the work. But, you know, it's now like strategic customers, even certain strategic customers I look at and say, is this worth it? Right. Is the cost worth um, the benefit? Sometimes it's not because it's just, you know, going to just hammer your day down to the point where you that's all you can do. You become a CSR for for this strategic customer. Mm-hmm. And all you're really selling is, you know, manpower. You're not really selling anything else. Yeah, I definitely
0: see it a lot when it comes to, it, you almost become enslaved to, you know, for lack of a better term, enslaved to the customer and <laughs> in, in the net revenue, right? <laughs> you know, it's like you're, Yeah. it's like you become attached. You can't get away from it because you're making enough to where it's like you're making a significant W-2. For the year, you know, and then, but it's your so much manual work that goes on with it that it's just removing you out of growing anything else. So then you kind of forget about even how to prospect very well or or what's it like to attack a new prospect or or be creative when it comes to the sales process. And then, and then you're kind of sitting here and it just keeps getting worse as time goes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, you get stuck yeah. in your habits.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I had one rule when I was selling, basically, that I tried to live by, and that was, I work for me. I don't work for anyone else. I work for me, so I'm just not going to do things that I don't want to do for a customer, regardless of what it's going to be. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity that as a seller that I passed on, because I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that type of work, right? I'm not going to be, you know at your beck and call every hour of every day to get an extra couple of loans just what wasn't what i was looking for Mm -hmm. we didn't have the infrastructure or the technology to really take advantage of it yeah um so i you know i probably lost a lot of opportunity that way um but at the end of the day i i I was never you know working for my customer and you know i think that was why i enjoyed selling so much because it was always on my terms
0: Mm -hmm. And you think, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people on your team started out, you know, brand new or or early on. And uh, like, do you think that's a good strategy from the start? Because I I can just hear people come up with, you know, calm excuses of why they would pick up those customers at first, you know, and uh, just because you got to take what you can get. You know, a, a load is a load for sure for that? sure
1: yeah I, I i don't have a problem with really any strategy to me it's more so along the lines of like what do you actually like what's the goal right what are you actually trying to achieve if if your specific strategy is designed to achieve what you personally consider a a good outcome and that's what you're trying to get to then great you know it maybe doesn't align with you know what i want to be involved with right mm-hmm. but you know i think that's for each person to decide and that's that's where I think the biggest the biggest gap that we have in in our sales force is just kind. Of...
0: And we're back. All right, Radder. I had some technical difficulties, but uh, we're back. I think you were talking about what were you talking about?
1: Uh, just the different type of strategies. You know, the strategy that I took when I was selling. And how applicable it is today, you know, I, I don't think it's all that applicable, but like I was saying, you, know, any strategy works as long as you know, people are aware of and transparent about the outcome they're looking for. So obviously, in our role, and what I like to do is try to help people with their personal desire and strategy of how do I, you know, escalate quickly to earnings and that f- three, five, 10, 20 million mark? So that's what I'm really lying to do. Do you think people
0: really, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people come in and even early in my career, you, you just, you, you see what other pe- successful people are doing, you know, some of the top sellers are like, oh, I want to be that. But do, do people really want to be that, you know, because when you, then when you show them the <laughs> amount of work that needs to be put in, then it's like, all right, here's what you need to do to get to that position. Do you still want to do it?
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the traps i see a lot of people fall into just in sales in general but you know specifically here is um they they always look for you know a shortcut a silver bullet you know a way around doing the actual work and i've never seen it really work out right sometimes you can get lucky but to your point some people you know they want the money the title the whatever but they don't want to do what it takes to get there and it just doesn't make sense to me mm
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, you at some point in your career you just gotta kind of look in the mirror. Uh, you know the Goggins calls the accountability mirror, and he you know he looks at himself, and one of the things he talks about through that book can't hurt me that we both read and a lot of people at Schneider's read. Is you know when he looks into that mirror at the accountability mirror at the end of the day. It's like, did I do enough today to be better and whatever that is? Whether it's, you know, if it's if it's working out or if it's sales, like, did you put in the work? And then a lot of times, he, he told a couple different stories. Goggins in the book of, he he would get to the end of the day or he would look in the county accountability mirror, which is himself, and he and he says and he just remembers, oh damn, I didn't finish those a hundred pull ups today. I'm before I'm going to bed I'm hitting hitting those extra 20, you know, or if it's prospecting or if it's sales calls, that type of thing. That that's always kind of what comes to mind for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't live in in that version of the matrix where, you know, I think I'm owed something or just because I do X, Y, and Z doesn't mean I'm going to get anything from it. Um so I mean, I definitely, you know, aligned to a lot of what what David Goggins preaches because it's it's basically you know extreme ownership over you know your personal life and outcomes
0: how, how do you get to that type of mindset because I feel like if everyone and I, I try to coach it as much as possible and you know talk about it often and you know in my office and even on this podcast and it, it's kind of like a stoic type mindset uh, stoicism I I I read about a lot, but it's, you know, a lot, I've hired a decent amount of people over my, my 10 years at Schneider, and sometimes people have just been nurtured into a different way of thinking, or I would say a significant amount of people have been nurtured, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, including myself, Like I, until I started reading these books and, and running into these people, my my dad was a Marine, so he helped me with some of that early mindset shift, so it wasn't completely not all there, but... It it didn't completely get there until I started reading about these other very successful people and what they were doing, and and then even successful people like the Stoics two thousand years ago, what they were doing, like is like how how do you think if you get someone on your team, you know, you've been a manager for five or or three, four, five plus years now, yeah. um, that doesn't have that mindset. It's very, it's not like you can just say, "Hey, read this book," and you know, a month later, they have the mindset, like, is that something you think you can nurture into someone that joins your team? Or is it, or is it more just understand their goals and try to get them to uh, maybe meet you at whatever capacity they have at that time?
1: Yeah, I I don't think, I don't don't really look at it like I'm gonna turn water into wine, because I just don't think the return on investment is really there. I think it's important to have a a set level expectation of this is what i expect and make it very clear that you know they have to have that set expectation as well and if if you choose to fail every day great and as long as you know you are choosing to fail every day that's really what's important here and i think it's also important for the people to realize like you can actually do a heck of a lot more if you just are willing to put the work in and again you're you're choosing not to and if you don't choose to, that that's fine, right? I can't make you do it. I can't make you want to be better. so it, it's more along the lines for me of you know where do I spend my time?
0: Mm-hmm. Where do you spend your time?
1: I try to spend my time with the biggest ROI for you know me personally and then obviously with the, with the business as well. So the people are are really going to put the work in. Have it demonstrated, you know, they're coachable and are really all about growing their revenue. That's where I'm going to tr- spend my time, you know, and, and everybody else who really isn't about it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think as long as, it's, you know, they're being honest about it, then that's OK, too.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, maybe just they... not
1: a, it's not a world where I want to live in, though.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like the thing you you, you surround yourself, you know, with uh, people that are like either better than you or, or that make you better type of thing. Like even in leadership, I think it applies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you got to surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you who are kind of all about the same things. And sometimes that can be challenging, you know, even, even in the sales role. Right. Everyone's at a different level. Everyone wants something different out of it. And, you know, I think that's OK you know like I said it's just about I think being honest and transparent with yourself and everyone else about what you truly want out of this and and not expecting someone else to try and drag you along mm-hmm.
0: because if someone would have grabbed my 22 year old self you know at, fresh out of college and uh, start working at Menards and you know I'm sure you maybe you could resonate similar if someone had grabbed that person he probably wouldn't have, he, he wasn't ready for that type of commitment and uh you know, extreme accountability, extreme ownership of you know his uh, circumstances in life. Um, so I, I wasn't ready then, and it's like some people may not be ready. Maybe they'll get to it, you know.
1: But uh, yeah, and that, and I think that's why you know part of the leader's job to me is to try and inspire those people who you know have it in them because I think almost everyone has it in them to do it. It's a matter of if they want to put the work in, but. How do you inspire those people to to find that self motivation a little bit quicker, versus just letting them do whatever they think is good enough for what they think their ceiling is?
0: Mm-hmm. And that that's what I kind of use the podcast to do. Really, I, I just I saw it in other podcasts I listened to, and just tried to emulate mine into a similar type of one where you just talk to successful people. And get other people to hear a different perspective than the ones they're seeing around them, and then maybe they could apply what they're hearing, or just be inspired, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I don't think me personally, like, I don't really find myself or look at myself as a very inspiring person. Uh, But at least I think I can demonstrate that I'm very, you know. Self-aware and transparent, and committed about what I'm trying to do, and I think a lot of people find inspiration just from from seeing that on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I think you're you're disciplined and you're authentic as well. Or, or two other characteristics I see out of you, and I think people really really resonate with that. At least I do, and I, I just notice any you know you think of famous actors like Matthew McConaughey. The re- what I read his book Green Lines and and just always enjoyed him. But I think what a lot of people like about him is his authenticity. He's not going to bullshit you. I think that's what everyone loves about Joe Rogan is he's not. Right. Gonna, he's very authentic. Um, he's not going to sugarcoat or change his, his <laughs> viewpoint just because who he's talking to that day. And I think you do that very well. And I, to me, that's inspirational in itself, um, for me at least. But I don't know what other people get inspired by.
1: No, yeah, I appreciate that. For sure. I think it's it's the most naturally and authentic thing someone can do is just be honest with themselves and you know, do that every single day and people will find inspiration from that.
0: Did, is that something you always did or 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 is it something you maybe learned from elders or what?
1: Uh, what well, think? I guess like I remember watching this This YouTube clip of like, it was actually, it was a Will Smith interview, right? Okay. Uh, I don't know. It must have been at least 10, 15 years ago. I I stumbled across this Will Smith YouTube clip and he was doing an interview. And I, that like that one thing has resonated with me basically ever since. And I, I can't remember the exact lines, but basically like, I think the guy was asking like how, what differentiates you, what makes you special or different and you know, he was like, you know, I there's always someone that's going to be smarter than me, more talented than me, but you know, the the one thing that differentiates me is I'm willing to die in a treadmill. Mm. And he basically said, "Hey, like basically, I'm not going to be outworked, right?" So mm. the thought process, you know, that he explained was that, "Hey, if, if at the end of the day, no matter how much more talented, how much more money you got than me, if me and you jump on a treadmill, There's only two things that are going to happen. You're getting off first or I'm going to (laughs) die. And that's how I kind of view everything that I do because I'm not really good at anything. Um, I think it's what frustrates me so much about, you know, other people here who I think have so much more, you know, sales talent, um, strategy, experience. Uh, There's a lot more talented people here than me. So I always took the mindset of I just have to outwork everybody. So at the end of the day, no one's gonna outwork me. And that's kind of how I look at it.
0: I love it. When when he first said it it made my hair stand up that just him saying he's like, I'm I'm gonna die. The difference between me is I'm gonna die on this treadmill. And it's uh I that's just very, very powerful. Uh, it hits hits me in the soul because it, I hear the same thing, you know, when you read that Goggins book and, and anyone that's very successful, even, um, I, I just watched a, you know, the, the Jordan documentary of, uh, the Bulls, you know, when you, oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or when you hear from Tiger Woods and his commitment, crazy commitment, or even, even artists, I watched MGK, uh, punk rock rapper, he, he uh, if people are familiar from Cleveland, Ohio, but he... I watched his documentary the other day and just the amount of work that he was willing to put in is just night and day compared to anyone else and that's why, you know, he had two number one albums. His last two albums were number one on the Billboard. But, like, I but the thing is that what I really wanted to show and I talk about it a lot about, like, Austin and, and Danny Passion on my team and, and Goggins talks about it a lot. It's like... These people, and Goggins says it all the time. He's like, I'm no different than any one of you. Like, he was 300 pounds, was an exterminator, you know, lived in a tiny town in Indiana, was had a very, you know, what a lot of people consider not a great life, and didn't have much prospects in the world, and just completely flipped it on its head. It's like, if you're listening to this and you're not happy with the way you are, or, or, or where you're at in your career or, or where you're at in, you know, your current role. It's like, you can change that day one, you know, you can change that two day and start just, it, it's not like you all of a sudden make a hundred cold calls if you're only making 20, but you can at least up at to 30 <laughs> and, and rattle off a week straight of 30 cold calls and then start to get some momentum, you know, or even start as small as, Jordan Peterson always talks about, he's like, make your damn bed. You know, start with one commitment. <laughs> if you never make your damn bed, start making your damn bed first and then rattle off a, you know, a few days and then start, you know, umbrellaing out in the rest of your life.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think just just that, like, personal accountability and ownership is is what's super important. That, and that's what I like about, I think, sales and, and this job so much is that You know, talent is very overrated. You know, I think too often we're looking for, like, well, what did you say? What did you do? And at the end of the day, the the most successful people I see, the one common denominator is they outwork everybody else every single day. Every day. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing. And I, I don't think people like that answer. I think it makes them uncomfortable because they realize, okay, I could do that, right? But I'm not really willing to. 'Cause I wanna sleep in, I gotta take my hour lunch, I gotta leave at three to go to golf league, mm-hmm. but I still want these results. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's just not gonna happen. And mm-hmm. it's okay if you're if you realize it's not gonna happen. I I just get frustrated when people think, you know, they're gonna put less into something but still expect extraordinary results. Mm-hmm. And I think
0: you just got to look at – you got to really look at that accountability mirror and think about it. It's like do I really want to put in that those 60 hours a week to be great or am I am I fine – which is fine, kind of what you're saying. It, it's okay to only want to be a 50K seller and you want to only work 40 hours a week and, and spend more time in other areas or focus on other things. We're not, <laughs> we're not saying that's like some worse thing and you should – feel bad about yourself if you're doing it but if your goal or if you if you're looking at uh you know some people that are successful other sales people are successful a lot of you know a lot of these million dollar sellers like this is just the fact of the matter you really gotta <laughs> just yeah. put in that extra effort like you said the common denominators a lot of it is just the amount of effort you put in day in day
1: out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree there's, a, there's nothing wrong with it but i think you know the, i think the key piece to me is that like that just be honest with yourself about it mm-hmm. you know like hey it's okay to be below average and it's okay to want to be below average that's cool right but don't talk to me about growth and goals and how does this person get here like that's not even a relevant conversation you know
0: mm-hmm. we're we're a very self-deceiving species And, uh, you know, a lot of times we just, we, we almost like convince ourselves we're putting in enough, but we're not, I have that challenge just in my own brain probably every day about anything I'm doing. You know, I, I was just running two miles the other day and then I was really hard on myself internally. It's like thinking I should go an extra mile, but then I was running late for work, you know, so now I was have to battle this internal (laughs) thing in my head, (laughs) but like.
1: Sounds like you got to get up earlier. Yeah,
0: for sure. Exactly. But, but we're self-deceiving because we don't. We're not thinking. If you don't sit down and think about, you know, a lot of times we just move through the day and we're just productive and and we don't think about it at all. We don't think about our goals. You know what you're talking about, and we don't think how we're achieving them, and we don't think about the things that we're doing now. Are they helping us get there? And then maybe what stuff in our day can we cut out? Am I watching two hours of Netflix? Am I scrolling through TikTok 30 minutes every day? That's what I love about Goggins always talk about. He's like, in some of his chapters, he's like, look through your day and just cut out every single thing or, or, or at least try it for a day or two. I just like, do none of that and plug in things that benefit you. You know, instead, instead of scrolling through Instagram that day, take that 30 minutes of prospect and rattle off a week of that and see where that
1: lands you yeah I, I love the that mentality that's just that's what I'm about
0: yeah fires me up man <laughs> that's <laughs> good can't tell. that's good
1: some <laughs> some people it doesn't fire up that's okay too <laughs> for sure so uh
0: you know Austin was you know on this podcast a couple times and I, I feel like he has you know I always say he has a goggins type of mindset. And uh, he seemed to inspire some of your team or at least galvanize some folks over there. And, you know, I don't know if he was the first one or Lucas, the first one to million dollars, but you guys were... The guys on your team are really uh, shifting a paradigm on the way we think about how we even approach sales and and, and what, what are the limits, you know? Because was it... I think Cole... It was now the quickest to a million, right? Yeah, he
1: did it in like six or seven months.
0: Yeah, which is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think it, we we look at it now and say it's insane because you know a couple of years ago there were only you know a handful of people who ever hit a million, you know. And I think now it's getting rid of that limiting belief and understanding. Yeah, you can you can hit it in the first three months. Someone's got to beat mm
0: Mhm. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit about, you know, focusing on, you know, what accounts that have good return on investment for the seller and the amount of time they're putting in there. Is like the investment they're putting in the account is going to have a good return. You sent me some of the approaches that you've attacked with some of your customers and how you think about attacking. Like, How do you approach that with a customer or even one of your sellers of a planet tag, how to understand does this customer have a good ROI for me and should I pursue it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it, it starts with just being upfront to the prospect about, you know, this is why I'm here. This is what led you, led me here in front of you today. Here's why we believe we think we, we would be a good fit for you guys, whether it's X, Y, or Z things and putting it out there and having the customer react to that. Uh, I think too often, depending on the market cycle, you know, we get caught up in just pinging customers and say, Hey, I already know you got a problem. Tell me, you know, tell me what your biggest problem is. And I'll go from there. And, you know, they're willing to talk with Schneider, but, you know, as you see, the market kind of goes down, we have to kind of generate that own demand. And, you know, I think approaching customers, with that upfront understanding of this is why I think we'd be a good fit. And I tell my team this all the time. We we have to make it easy for the customer to say no, because if if we don't make it easy for the customer to say, no, you're way off base. No, that doesn't make sense. No, I'm not doing that. Then typically what we're left with is like a non response or even worse. They lead you down a path of opportunity that's not even real. Right, they give you mm-hmm. a quote. They give you a lane list. Right, price out my DC. Okay, and then what? Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when I, when we, after three months later, we come to find out, even if we did it for free, they were never going to use us. Uh,
0: that that's a great way to think about it, and I love when you you talk about that and that type of approach and mindset, because like. I see it all the time, you can waste years sometimes, now we changed the ROE to six months, but some people waste years on, on customers and it never panning out, and it's like, the seller's time is very, very, very valuable, so the amount, if you're spending it on a prospect that's not even worth your time for several months, it's like, damn, man, that's, That's brutal time lost that could have been spent on something way more (laughs) (laughs) valuable.
1: No, I I agree. And I think that my, that's my, always been my personal approach because I don't really consider myself like really good at like sales or convincing people to do something that they don't want to do. You know, I, I kind of look at it like if I could convince people to do things they don't want to do, I'd probably be, you know, some Jedi and I wouldn't even need a job. Right. (laughs) Uh, I'd rather get, To the opportunity get to the know as fast as possible get to the mutual understanding of hey this isn't gonna be a good fit no matter what as fast as possible so I can move on to the next prospect understanding that you know certain prospects are not even buyers they're not even ready to buy and some sellers you know they'll take it upon themselves to convince that person to buy and sometimes it works and that's really good for them um, because they they might have that skill set I don't really think I have that skill set at all I think I'm just more so disciplined around, you know, where's my time most valuable, most spent, and then quickly moving on, and also being okay with moving on too fast. Mm. You know, I I always tell my team to me personally, I'd rather jump ship way too fast than way too late.
0: Yeah, because that, that, that's a that's a another good point because I, I see that a lot. Everybody's like, oh. It's like the, the fear of missing out, FOMO. Everybody has like a FOMO, what this account may be. And I even, even some of my sellers, like a couple months down the road, I was like, why you they'll dip in and take a look at it, that count that they gave up? And I'm like, dude, why are you even doing that to yourself? <laughs> like, just, what are you doing? You know, just quit looking at it and focus <laughs> on what's in front of you. In front of you.
1: But yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I think it's all irrelevant, right? Like, let's say a different seller jumps on it. And they secure a bunch of business doesn't mean you you did anything wrong maybe the timing wasn't right maybe you couldn't find the right contact despite 500 phone calls and that person somehow did you know it is what it is I think if you have a if you have a solid process and you trust your process and it's all disciplined every single day then the results will come and you have to be okay with losing
0: Mm mm-hmm You have to be okay with losing. That's definitely a good... uh...
1: I mean, I lose at everything, so I'm a professional loser.
0: (laughs) I love it. I'm going to put that on the the title of the podcast. (laughs) 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 I can't even
1: remember anything I've ever won. I'll tell you that. (laughs)
0: You, uh, you sent me an email of something you sent to a customer that I thought was a good, a, a unique approach just to send to the customer, like path to logistics maturity and like some of the things was, it, it, it labeled off transactional, operational, and strategic, you know, and then transactional had cost as one of the driving factors for it, focused on the present, daily execution, engagement happens, frontline level. And I, what I see a lot of times, and I'm sure you see it, is sellers they'll get the load, you know, and, and everyone's like, oh, very happy we got a load and they'll do anything to get that load from or from a customer, and then it's like then you kind of get sucked in without even like realizing what the opportunity even looks like. You're not you're not even having those like in depth conversations of what it looks like several months down the road. And maybe that the customer doesn't even want to have a long-term plan or even have any expectations for that. They're just wanting you to cover their
1: fall-offs. But you you (laughs) could, you you know what I mean? Yeah, I I think too often, like you know, depending on the situation, you know, if you're going to tell me you want to scale to one, three, five, ten, twenty mil, that's that's great. Let's do that. Then you can't just be chasing the load and talking to shippers transactionally about a load. So that's where that, you know, graphic stems from is, hey, let's cut to the chase. What are you actually looking for? If you're looking for a transactional relationship, great. You know, we have Freight freight Power Shipper. We'll get you aligned to, you know, maybe a a less tenured sales associate is going to help you out. And that's great. Schneider loves it. Everybody wins there. Um, But I think if you're trying to escalate quickly to earnings, you can't be looking for that load, right? You got to be looking for the relationship and the buying signals right talking to the right people are they talking digital connections technology like API EDI that's good that you know I like that tell me more about that right are they talking Schneider Enterprise stuff sustainability right drop trailers LTL network optimization right is that in the conversation of what they're interested in because that's what we're actually good at and that's what makes our relationships you know long-standing that's what's gonna pay you off in the long run chasing transactional freight all day sure that'll work and you know we need the loads whatever but i mean it's you're never gonna get rich doing it Mm well and so a
0: couple other things this may just be all sales today and i'm I'm sure you don't mind that one uh but (laughs) no (laughs) so i uh, uh some of the other things you were saying on some of those goal setting meetings was that I, you know, resonated with is, you know, the the way you were talking about some of your sellers taking on some of their accounts and, and putting them on account management, and you know, you you hear it a lot from sellers having um, hesitancy for that because they hear about the story where their account went and didn't do well, right? And one of the things that yeah. you said is you have to be okay if you have to be okay sending the account over and only getting maybe sixty percent out of that account. If you were getting hundred percent when you had it, you have to be okay with getting sixty percent because you have to be on the mindset of you know six accounts at sixty is better than five at a hundred. What anything to articulate beyond that.
1: Yeah, I think it was, you know, it stemmed from, you know, some some valid and not somewhat valid feedback and frustrations from, you know, the account management opt-in team, and and program that we're we're going to work through. Right, you can't expect an overnight change. A lot of the feedback is very valid, and I think at the end of the day, you know, again, what I'm trying to preach to my guys is like, let's take ownership over the stuff we can control, and if you're telling me you want to scale to 10 million next year, then let's just do the math, right? You're complaining that X, Y, and Z account over on AM, we're doing this on your desk. And then since you transitioned it, now it's only doing this, right? Let's do the math. You're gonna get paid more and have higher net revenue if we keep doing that exact same thing, right? Getting an account, maximizing it, sending it over, and then it drops off. If you do that 10 to 20 times versus you just holding on to 100% of your top five accounts.
0: But I have a, I have a wedding to plan, and I'm gonna buy a new car, and I got a house coming. I, I can't give up that money. What, what do
1: I do? Yeah, then I perfectly <laughs> understandable. You know, you can't give up that money right now. That's great. Then you can't do it. Then you're, you know. But let's be honest about it. Then you're not really in this thing for what you're telling me you're in it for, mm-hmm. right? You, you're just here to make a quick buck or two now, and you, you know. Then maybe we'll see next year. That's fine then you can go sit in the corner and make your money and do what you want to do and get your car in your house and you know we can just leave you alone Mm -hmm. and you really don't exist
0: (laughs) and it's you know if you're if you're listening and you're on account management it's not like a a diss to people on account management it's it's more of just like you know a lot of the sellers that are on our team are you know some of the best of the best sellers period if it went to you know, Joe Schmoe, new new seller that just started. Like, he, it's probably going to decrease a good twenty five to forty percent as well. It's just like no one cares as much about the account that they, you know, grew and 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 sold and and you know and brought on to the company. So it's like, to me, it's oh, by majority, it's probably going to see a decrease regardless of, of, of where it's going. So it's just like. Being okay, if your goal's five, you know, three, four, five million, then you have to be okay with that or you're not going to grow, like you said.
1: Yeah, I think part of the learning curve, too, was understanding what works and what's really successful in account management. Obviously, some of our best, most successful accounts reside over there and but there's specific things that the sales team has done the seller and the customer have done to set that up for success and it's just that learning curve of understanding okay is this really going to scale well is it going to fit well over there um sometimes it's not but that's okay then you know just limit your expectation personally you know and trust that the leadership here internally nobody wants to see accounts you know decrease or go away for no good reason so we're going to work on that to, to maximize you know, your account. But in the meantime, don't spend your time and mental energy complaining about stuff that isn't going to help you, right? Focus on the goal, focus on the task at hand.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you were talking about. You guys are over the last two weeks. You guys were talking about a lot on your team. You know, a lot of your sellers are talking about refining the process a little bit. Of you know, you're attacking some of those prospects and how to get to that no quicker. Could you explain just some of the, the current process or how you think is probably the best process in the current state of how to get to the no as quick as possible, or, or just how like a a day to day would look like, or that you you would love to see it look like
1: yeah for sure i think that that's something that i'm personally focused on just overall in general building a structure a specific structure for any direct seller here in stm to follow essentially my my personal goal is to basically create freight robots that if nothing else here is a specific template you can use from start to finish to get you to the opportunity Right. Because that's that's our main goal is to get to the opportunity as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that starts with like, how do you pro- how do you prospect? How do you use Zoom? Here's what you look for. Once you have a prospect here is like your solicitation day, you know, like like Brian Boyd rolled out up here in Green Bay, like your sales rhythm. Here's day 1 through 15. Here's what it looks like. Here are all the pre-made email templates. Here's all the pre-made collateral. You don't have to spend time thinking about it. You spend time executing on it, Mm -hmm. right? Then from there, maybe you secure a call, right? Here is the pre-made template for the call collateral. Here is the template for the agenda for the call. Again, you don't have to spend all afternoon overthinking it. None of it really matters, you know? Just get the call have that all submitted, and then we're good to go. Um, Even so much as automating, you know, I know we've been against scripts for forever. I've never understood why, but, you know, scripting out cold calls, scripting out how to overcome the five most common objections you get on the phone, Mm -hmm. scripting out email responses, so that we take all the hesitancy, all the lack of confidence, all the overthinking out of the job, to get sellers to attack and move quicker
0: mm-hmm. and, and if, if you're listening to this you know you're not saying or people are listening to this and and getting a different perspective from it it's like you're not saying to be like a, a legit robot on the phone or, or with the customers like <laughs> you, you know you still come out like Weinberg would always talk about not to have a, a sales Type of voice, you know, and, and be like a, a consultant. But it's just, it, it's more of a guide. Like you said, you, you want to spend as less energy as possible thinking about what's the next step. Because we, I, you know, I see with my sellers, they have very, very little time to think about what to do next because their ba- day is so damn busy that they, it's hard to fit in anything. So when they have some downtime, if they have to think too much, then they're not going to do it. They're going to see their phone over here, sc- scroll through Instagram for that 20 minutes and take a break. But if, if you had it, if you had a process down, if you had an email, email responses down, if you had a lot of that stuff down to where it's a quick go-to, then I think it makes it a lot easier to plug in on any downtime throughout your day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like, like you said, we're not trying to, like, get robotic on the phone and have every person sound the exact same with the exact opening pitch, you know, with with the exact, you know, responses on the phone, but it's more so building that baseline and structure around if you have no idea what to do, you got five options that are scripted out for you in every part of the sales process. And then from there, you know, you're, you're kind of on your own um, to make it your own, mm-hmm. for sure.
0: And your team refers to Josh Braun a lot, and I think he does a really good job. I've said his name on here a dozen times, but of just like, what do you say? What's the best way to approach if a customer asks, is this a sales call or, or, or some sort of uh, passive aggressive motion that this is a sales call and they want to get off of how to handle it? You know, with rather than going through your pitch and being all pitchy, come out with humor or, you know, or just come out and try to understand in a creative way what's their pain point by getting them to, uh, you know, uh, kind of he used a lot of chris voss type of terminology of um i forget what it's uh basically like repeating what people say to get them to uh come out
1: yeah like, a lot me- of like mirroring me- mirroring yeah. Yeah. and then labeling yeah. yeah um yeah josh brown chris voss they're probably some of the favorites for myself sellers my team because it's it's a different approach that doesn't feel salesy and a lot of other sales approaches kind of feel salesy Mm -hmm. and, and that stuff doesn't feel as salesy. So I think more people, you know, feel more comfortable in, in that, in those scenarios. And I I think the key to all that stuff is just practicing it. You have to practice it. So it just becomes natural. You can't expect to watch three YouTube videos and all of a sudden you're like, all right, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. You're probably not.
0: Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, if you, Could you give a nice, so if you're talking new person starts or a new person's, you know, fourth weekend, eighth weekend, give them a nice summary rather of best way you think they, you know, some of the stuff you list off, but just a nice summary. If they're writing this down, how they can attack it, the best way to start out a sales career to attack and get those no's as quick as possible, reduce the sales cycle as quick and find the accounts of the best ROI
1: yeah i mean i think it's just be having having a disciplined process whatever that process looks like i would probably rip a process straight from someone else who's a little bit more successful than you and start there because otherwise you're you're probably going to spend too much time thinking about well does this make sense it doesn't have to make sense just get a process in place that you block off every single hour of your day with a specific function so if that's prospecting from three to four in the afternoon every day And get your calls ready then you come in at 7 o'clock in the morning and you make calls uh, like cold calls then from 8 to 9 you make follow-up calls from 9 to 10 you get to your emails from 10 to 11 you check freight power you know from 11 to 12 you look on LinkedIn from 12 to 1 you do more prospecting 1 to 2 you do more calls like have a disciplined process and see that process through and don't worry about if it's gonna work for you if it's the right thing if this makes any sense just start there Use it for a week or two, then you're going to find whatever works best for you, you know, kind of plug and play there. Mm -hmm. I I just think too often sellers don't even have a process of how to attack the day. Mm -hmm. So that's why they come in, they roll in here at 8 o'clock. You know, I spend the first hour talking about fantasy football. Then, oh, it's lunchtime. I reply to some emails. (laughs) Come back. I'm supposed to prospect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then my buddy came over, we talked about fishing Oh, Now it's, now it's like, it's almost four, right? The, the train's leaving and I don't have a ride home. So I got to go. And then we do that every day for a month. And then you sit down with your leader and you're like, well, I don't have any good results. What am I doing wrong? And it's like, well, what are you actually doing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough reality, man. Uh, (laughs) Some people do that for 10 years and Kind of take a look and. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that's so, good, man. I I, I like it. I, I think it paints a nice picture. You know, if you, it, it's all about process, man. If you got a good, if you got good systems, in down, you know, and some things we talked about removing that energy that you have to think about it. And then I, I really love just thinking like some of those Josh Braun approaches or Chris Voss approaches and having them right there close to you or, or email responses to design up, you know, some of that sales story, Mike Weinberg stuff where you, you don't have to think twice about it. You you send it off, right? This is day two in my sales process. All right, this customer, these three customers on sales too, I rip off those emails real quick. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and then, and then, all right, along with the email, I'm supposed to give another call and leave a, a voicemail that says this. And then, you know, if you can get that down, then like you said, by the time you get gone, you're gonna start adjusting, you're gonna, you're gonna take stuff from other people, rob and duplicate. And before you know it, if you stay consistent, you're gonna be a badass seller, I can guarantee it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The biggest thing is just just do the work. Do the work to start. All
0: right, we'll end it off with uh, two of my favorite questions I ask. Just so uh, yeah, I feel like you would have a good one on this, Ryder. What's the first concert you ever been to?
1: First concert, I think it was a Real Big Fish concert. Okay. In Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, growing up. I played trumpet, and I was big into ska music. So I was I was really big into like Real Big Fish, less than Jake, that kind of music. What do you call it? Scott music. Scott. S K A. So it's it's basically like punk rock okay. with with brass mixed in, okay. like trombones, um, you know, saxophones, trumpets, stuff like that.
0: Okay, I like it, man. I'll have to check what was the what was the other band besides Big Fish?
1: Less than Jake. Less than Jake.
0: Writing this down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna check it out. I, I like all music, and I don't know if I've okay. Heard, heard much of
1: that uh, yeah check them out yeah uh,
0: if you if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere and put anything on it metaphorically speaking reaching millions and billions of people would you put on it
1: <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i probably wouldn't put anything on it just because for the most part i'm probably better off not being you know out there so much so yeah i'd probably be better off personally just not letting someone else like you, Ronnie, put something on there that would speak to people, and I can kind of just be in the background, you know.
0: Yeah. So are you asking me what I would put on it? Yeah. I would probably put on, you know, the, you know, basically the the, the name of, you know, my, or I I kind of have it as the the title of my uh, podcast, and um, I'm trying to think of the quote Epictetus. Oh yeah. How long are you going to wait before you demand the best for yourself? I don't know about you but that oh, you know, okay Epictetus famous stoic philosopher he, he was a, he was actually a slave uh, as he, he grew up a slave he was born a slave and then grew up a slave and became a famous stoic philosopher yeah I, I think he was even before Jesus you know just ancient uh, thousands of years ago but like these people are talking about the same stuff you and I just talked about. All, for an hour here and i think one that's very powerful because it's not like it's a it's an age-old problem here that we're dealing with it's not some <laughs> new thing <laughs> right right and so to think through it and then every i don't know about you but every time i read that damn quote i, I just think about i just start thinking about things in my life it's like how long am I going to wait before I demand the best myself as a manager, as a husband, as a father, as uh, you know, a guy that runs uh, or a guy that works out or uh, the way I you know, eat, you know that type of stuff? And it just yeah. every time I read it, I just keep going down the way of, of how I can improve. So that's maybe someone else can get the same inspiration out of that billboard.
1: I like that. Maybe if you would have saw that in the billboard this morning, you would have, you would have put in the extra mile then.
0: Yeah. I had to wake up earlier. I'd have been uh, <laughs> late to my – or at least got my day started late. I wouldn't have been too late. But <laughs> Well, hey, Radder. I appreciate it, man. Uh, I thought it was a good conversation. Hopefully, people can take something out of it and maybe a little inspiration as well. Who knows?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Take it easy, man. All right, take it easy. Why
0: don't?